Take the paper that has been put in your song rack. The wonder of it all, John asked me if we could sing this one. I think it ties in with what he's been planning to preach. He told me that sometimes the Lord changes things last minute. I don't know if that's happened yet or not. <laughs> so we're going to sing this song now and we might actually sing it again after the service since it's new to me and it's probably new to some of you. The wonder of it all. <coughs> no, so be true. There's a wonder of sunset at took a trip out west, and um, one of the memories that I, I suppose that um, hits me the most is, is uh, especially our time driving out through Colorado, and how we would, um, so it, it seemed like it just happened time and time again, you'd, you'd, you'd ride out and you'd chop the hill, and as you'd come down, it's just like, wow, look at that. Wow, look at that. And it just happened time, I don't know how many times that we, that same thing was said. Wow, look at that. I think that there are a lot of people that visit our part of the country that say the same thing. 
But how many times do you go to work or, or drive down the road and you're going to town and, and you look out there and you say, wow, look at that. It happens some, doesn't it? But only so much. The title of my sermon this morning is, Have You Lost the Wonder? Have You Lost the Wonder? Because um, as in the physical, I think that it's also possible that in the spiritual that we lose the, the wonder of those things that at one point thrilled our lives. Um, I was just pondering that uh, in, in Revelation, one of the things that the, the Spirit said to one of the churches is, I have somewhat against you because you have lost your first love. I wonder if, if maybe that was the issue. They lost the wonder. There's a number of, there are several things I'd like to talk about this morning about that, that we can easily lose sight of, we can lose the wonder of. The first one, probably losing the wonder is not really the, the correct term, and yet, in some ways it is. And, uh, and I wonder, have you lost the wonder of your sin? Now, like I say, it's, it's, it may be the wrong term, and yet um, there, there's sometimes that we get so accustomed to our sin, uh, our, our natural inclinations to sin, our um, even the 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 sin that God has saved us from that we 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 fail to take it seriously. We fail to really call it what it is. The, the Bible speaks pretty, um, pretty intensely about the subject of sin. In 1 John 3, he says, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. In uh, Romans 7, he compares it to the body of this death. He talks about how the things he wants to do, he can't do, and, and how he feels stuck. And he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Now he's referring there to the practice of, of a convicted person having a dead body tied to them. And, the, and they were forced to carry this dead body wherever they went until finally it decomposed and, and they died from it. And um, at least that's my understanding of it. And, and you know, how gruesome a way to die. And, and that's what he says sin is like. Um, in Romans, he, he, he talks about sin being like an open grave. Their throat is an open sepulcher. In uh, Isaiah 1, I'd like to turn to that. He's, he's talking to Israel here. In verse 4, he says, All sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, 
They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel to anger and are gone away backwards. Why should you be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been clothed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. And he's saying the whole heart, everything is just sick. It's not been, it's not been, it's like a wound that has no dressing. Dirty and nasty and infected. But you know, we, we often think of sin as something the other guy does, as something that's out there. But uh, again, the scripture is very clear about who has this problem. Ch- uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 10, it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understands, there is none that seeks after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that does good, no, not one. And you go on down to verse 19, it says, we know whatever what things the law says, It says to them that are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. For by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. That is, the law is not a solution for our sin. The law only identifies it. And now the righteousness, well, we'll get to that one later. But it does tell us in verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the God, uh, come short of the glory of God. And that's you and me and what, what one little track said. Whosoever means you, me, or anybody else. And that's sort of what everyone means too. Romans 5, 12, therefore just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned and so whether or not you created it, you got the problem because death and sin came through Adam and um, And so we can't say, well, that's the other guy's problem. That's very much our problem. Well, what's the problem with sin? Sin is, brings separation from God. If you recall back at the beginning, when sin first entered the world, what was the result? The result was separation from God. And so uh, God comes to walk with Adam and Eve like, like normal, and, and what happens? They hid. They hid from God. They didn't want to be close to God. You know, some people wonder, well, you know, why, why wouldn't somebody who's lost get to heaven? Well, somebody who's lost would not feel comfortable in heaven. Adam and Eve didn't. Sin will bring separation from God. It did it at the beginning. It's going to do it again at the end. 
It talks about Jesus when he comes back in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those that know, know, know not God, that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. But if we follow that verse a little farther, we find the contrast when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all of them that believe in that day. What a contrast. Have you lost the wonder of your sin? Because you know if we don't grasp the enormity and the seriousness of sin, we will never understand, we will never grasp the next wonders that we're going to talk about. mixed up for a moment. The second wonder I'd like to talk about is that Jesus, being God, came down to die for your sins. Have you lost the wonder of Jesus dying for you? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You know, God created a solution for sin, and it's called the gospel. It's called the gospel. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, the good news, which I preach to you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, and by which also you are saved. Okay, the gospel was preached, um, they received it, and they are standing in it, and they're also being saved by it. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I have delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. And after that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. So I ask you, what is special and significant about this basic concept? We have grown up with the concept of Jesus dying for our sins, about him being buried, and about him rising the third day. What is so significant about that? Why is that something that should fill our hearts with wonder? Well, first of all, I'd like to go back and just remind you that this is the basic gospel. That is the basic gospel. The basic good news is that Jesus died, that he was buried, and that he was rose again that he rose again, and, and, and furthermore, he goes on to make the point that, that this resurrection was documented. It was not just something that somebody said. It, um, he, was, uh, he was witnessed by Peter, he was witnessed by, it was witnessed by the twelve, and then it was over 500 people at once. And so he was saying 
the it's it's um, it's not just something that somebody made up. It's something that there was proof for. And but he says this is the basis of our salvation, and I ask you why. Now let's go back to uh, Romans chapter three. First of all, we're going to notice some things that salvation is not. Well, actually, not quite. It's going to tell us about the salvation, but we still haven't quite got to the question. Verse 21, well, first of all, verse 20 does say, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Now, that's what the, that is the way that you will not get to righteousness is by keeping the law of God because you can't do it. You can't perform it well enough. You're going to mess up one time and then you're guilty of everything. So then you've got to start all over. It's almost like that game we played out there the other day. If you don't catch all the pancakes, you've got to go start back into the game. The problem is with this game, you never get done. You never win. You'll never be righteous enough. And so what's the solution? Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. That is, there is a righteousness that comes apart from the law and the, and the, and the, um, the law and the prophets witness testify that it was coming. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. So the righteousness we're talking about is a righteousness that comes through our faith. And it's based upon Jesus Christ. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so again, he points us to the, the fact that we all need that same salvation. Being justified for free. That's what it means. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, that is an atonement. His blood paid the penalty for our sin to declare his righteousness. Whose righteousness? Jesus' righteousness. To declare his righteousness, not ours, for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just. Who, who is he? God. That he might be just and the justifier of him that believes in Jesus. So, I want you to notice that, that in this scenario, God is demonstrating his righteousness. So let's just do an imaginary story. You're driving 80 miles an hour down the road in, in a 30 mile per hour zone and you get busted. And as you're hauled into court, you're thinking, boy, it's a good thing that this is in this county because my dad is the judge. And then you start getting a little concerned because you remember that while your dad is, your, is the judge and you know he loves you, He's also just. 
and you don't know your dad, you know your dad doesn't twist the law to his own advantage or anybody else either because he's all, always just. And um, you end up, you finally end up there in, in the court and uh, the, uh, the judge says, uh, son, I hear you were doing 80 in a 30 mile per hour zone, guilty or innocent? And you say, guilty. And the gavel comes down, you are charged guilty, the verdict is $500 or a week in jail. And you don't got the $500, you're a young guy, and the bailiff comes to haul you off, and dad takes off his coat. And he steps down and he says, hang on a minute. He pulls out his wallet, and he pays your fine. That judge was just, and he was also the justifier. That's what happened when Jesus came. That's the basis that we can be free. You can't go free any other way. But you'll never understand it if you don't understand your sin. How is it an advantage to you to be free when you don't even know you have a problem? Now this story was imaginary. But the story I'm telling you is not imaginary. You are guilty as charged, and your penalty is death. And this was not just a physical death, but this was an eternal separation from Almighty God. But because Jesus, the sinless man, whom, whom God sent his own son down to, to demonstrate to us how to live life. Not only to do that, but to, to uh, it says that Jesus, because of, of him being sinless, he condemned sin in the flesh. He, um, you see, that's what happens when, if, if you are living with, if, if you're around someone who is, who is doing wrong and you do what is right, you're condemning them even if you don't say anything, right? Isn't that what happens? We well, see, that's what Jesus did when he was here. He condemned sin because he lived a righteous life. His life was a condemnation of sin, whether he said anything or not. And he had plenty to say for that matter. But there's another... There's another aspect of this that is, that is important. How do you know that Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient to pay for your sin? How do you know? On what basis? What proves that his, his blood was sufficient to take away your sin? That's the claim, isn't it?
The proof is in that he rose again. That's the proof. Paul says um, that he is a bondservant of Jesus Christ, an apostle separated to the gospel of God. He's called to that, that, that gospel that he promised before in the Holy Scriptures. He, he, he mentions back to the fact that God had thought about this a long time ago. It wasn't, it wasn't a last-minute decision on God. It was something he planned from the beginning. But he talks about Jesus. He says he declared him to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness. And how did he do it? By the resurrection from the dead. That's how. He declared him to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. And his resurrection proved that he had the authority to judge and to pay the penalty for our sins, that his blood was sufficient to pay that price. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, if Christ is not risen, our preaching and our faith is empty. And so the, the resurrection is the thing that gives us the authority to say, yes, God meant what he said. Jesus' blood is sufficient to pay the penalty for our sin. And uh, I believe it was on Mars Hill when Paul was preaching. He said, uh, Truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. The raising of Jesus from the dead was the... Was the was the stamp, as it were, on, on the authority that Jesus has. Not only, well, for several things. One is that he has the authority to take away our sin. The other is that he has authority over, over, uh, over life and death. And also, thirdly, that he has the authority to judge when he comes back. Now, the Bible says that God raised Jesus from the dead. I did find it fascinating that the word God is used in various ways. Um, they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Same word. And um, it's talking about Jesus, isn't it? Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Same word. Titus talks about our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, same word. Hebrews 1.8, he's, uh, he's quoting uh, an Old Testament and he, uh, and, and he uses the same word to, uh, to, to translate it. He says, about the Son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever. And uh, 
I just I find it fascinating that Jesus said, I have the power to lay down my life and I have the power to take it up. So who raised Jesus from the dead? Did the Father raise Jesus from the dead or did Jesus raise Jesus from the dead? Well, you know, this sounds a little funny to us because we always think of our bodies as being us, right? But our bodies are not really us. That's just the thing that us lives in, right? And uh, so Jesus was very active while he was dead, okay? It says, uh, there's a couple of suggestions that... Um, that uh, he, he preached to the spirits in prison, and we sort of believe that that may have happened while he was dead. He claimed the, the keys to ha the Hades and hell. Well, at least he has them. I suspect that was when he claimed them. Um, you find that uh, he, him bringing the, uh, the train of captives out after his resurrection. And so... Um, it, makes, it makes you fascinated wonder what all was Jesus doing during the time he was dead. Um, some of that we, we're not absolutely certain about. But, but the fact that he rose from the dead, he had the power to raise himself from the dead, tells us that he has the power over death and not only, not only his life, but also he has the power to raise us up. And so the time is coming when we will ourselves die and be laid to rest. And then the time will come that he comes again and, and we will be raised up to meet him. And it brings me to the next thing that I think that we need to wonder at. And that is that he is coming again to take us to a specifically prepared place to be with him forever. Jude 1.24 says, Now to him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To present you faultless, to present you faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. Isn't that amazing? Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I come again to, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. song I wrote down last night and I thought I knew how to find it but I don't know how to find it so I can't think what it is right off the top of my head so I'm sorry about that um, they may come back and they may not things don't always come back but just in making this personal you know sometimes we're like a hiker that, that goes on a hike and he hikes out through the beautiful country and he's so focused on uh, on getting to the next destination that he ignores the beautiful flowers and the, and, the, and the scenery around him. 
Or sometimes perhaps we're like two lovers who in the busyness of working and raising children and doing the things of life forget the excitement of their wedding day. And I'm just calling on you as, um, as, as believers, particularly to stop and remember the day that you were born again. What was it like? Do you remember the peace? Do you remember the excitement? I'd like you to stop and think of what Jesus did for you on the cross. I'd like you to stop and think about the work that he's been doing in your life. And as you look back over the last how many years and you think about what you used to be and you think about what you are today and remember the difference that he's made in your life and how things been changing you into the image of Jesus from glory to glory. You know, the walk hasn't always been easy, has it? Some of those things have come with a price. But it's, but it's not been your work, it's been his work. I'd like us to remember and wonder at the work of God. But maybe this discussion about sin and judgment has you on edge. Maybe you've never experienced the freedom from sin that Jesus offers you. Maybe you're a little like the Philippian jailer that, uh, that came out to Paul and cried, what must I do to be saved? And I'm going to give you the same answer that Paul did. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. In uh, Romans chapter 4, he's talking about Abraham and, um, and how Abraham believed the word of God. And it says it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. See, remember if the, uh, the account there says that, uh, that uh, Abraham was saved by faith because he believed what God said. And it says it wasn't just written, when, when it talks about Abraham, it wasn't just written for Abraham's sake, it was written for our sake because it's also true for us, it will be imputed, that is, put on our account to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. You'll never be righteous enough to, to uh, be found worthy to enter those pearly gates. Based on your own performance. Can't do it. Can't do it. But there is someone who already performed for you, who already lived a life that was, that was perfect, and, and his, his performance, his righteousness, the Bible says, can be put on your account. Now, he wants to change you into the image of Jesus from glory to glory. That's true. That's a result of what happens when you're, when you're born again. When you have the Spirit of God in you. 
But God wants to put his righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ on your account and make you righteous. Not based on your performance, but based on his performance. That's where it starts. That's not the end. That's where it starts. Amen. And it works out from there. Romans 10 says, what does, the, what, does the say, what does it say? It says the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. So that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not something you have to go out and figure out. It's something that's real close to you. It's something that's so close that's right here and right here. So if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And the Bible says whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. God provided one way to salvation. And it is through Jesus Christ. Just one way. There's no other way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said, he that climbs up another way is a thief and a robber. And Titus says, God wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. That is the good news, my friends. It's the good news that some of us have experienced. It's the good news that we all need to experience. So I'm going to ask you this morning that if you've, um, if you've experienced this and you want to testify, and you want to say something from the Lord this morning, this is your chance. I'm going to give you a chance to get up and to say something.